0: Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by Old School Jim, my co-host. Yeah, that might be me. But I'm feeling 29 today. Well, you actually told me to call you Old School Jim. You actually well, called yourself Old School Jim,
1: well, which I, I think a, is kind
0: of funny.
2: I'm a little old school, but I think I'm a
0: little new school. So. I, so, how you doing, days, buddy? I'm, You're feeling good today, though, aren't you? I am feeling good.
2: I'm feeling rejuvenated today. I'm feeling educated. I'm feeling inspired and equipped, yes. which is what we do, right? We yes. equip and inspire the Metalworking Nation. That is our goal. Full disclosure when we started on this journey 4 years ago i didn't realize how impactful it was going to be on me and my company oh, me too and how much i've learned and grown by just being the co-host
0: of this amazing podcast that we do weekly. I, I agree, Jim. This thing started out as this little podcast that we were hoping that 50 people a month would listen to. And now we have a 7 seven full-time people on the team. We have marketing agency and all this kind of stuff. But the single biggest impact that it's made is on how I as a leader. I've learned so much from people like our guests today that has helped me in my career. And you've learned how to dress a little bit better too. And I have gotten more fashionable. As I mentioned, I call myself animal fashionable because my kids have found my new favorite store. Actually, my kids and my wife, it's called Bonobos and they make these shirts that have, they make like cool patterns out of animals. So I have like this panda shirt and a lion shirt and a tiger shirt and just kind of fits my brand, brand. I guess you would say. so. Because normally I come to making chips recordings in my making chips pajamas, but I'm trying to step it up a little bit. Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed sometimes when you do that too, so. But that's okay. If that's what makes you happy, keep on doing it. So anyway, getting, getting to the good stuff. So Jim, you know that I've talked about this before. I'm trying to build a high-performance team at Zengers and at Black, and it's not easy. And one of, one of the pushbacks that I've gotten is that people try to tell me, you know, not everybody is wired and type A and run fast. People kind of make fun of me because I'm always running through the office. I've got my go fast shoes on. People jump out of the way when I'm running through. And you, you know, are like that. that. I know that, that, that is you. Yeah. But that's yeah. you.
2: I've come to know how to facilitate that. You know but you know what I mean? What we, yeah, but you know I, what would be
0: one of the I, worst I, things <laughs> is
2: if my Caleb's entire- <laughs> laughing in the background because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not a bad
0: thing. No, it's no. just how and how I'm wired. How we digest yeah. you. Yep. Yep. You know yep. what I mean? But the worst thing in the world that I could do is hire a bunch of people like me. The company would implode. But one of the things that I want to do at my company is I always want people to be making themselves better. We have this mantra with our VIP clients, which is continuous improvement. We always want to improve their manufacturing processes so that they can save money. And I want to do that same thing internally at my company. I want to develop my people so they're just getting a little bit better or maybe a lot better on on a regular basis. But I've gotten some pushback. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Maybe you should hire an HR person to implement this because you've you got a, you've got a lot of employees. Yeah. You cannot do this on your own. Yeah.
0: But do you think it's okay to have that expectation that everybody gets better and everybody's developing themselves? Of course. And, you know, okay, that's what we okay. all want. So I, I mean, I, that's I, why
2: that's why we're business owners, right?
0: Well, I, so I shouldn't ever expect anybody just to coast along and just you know, no. punch in and punch out. Do you want to run your business that way? No. That's but, I, but I'm just no. asking. Yeah, some I people th- some people are okay with that. And the
2: way they run their business, it's not okay for you, it's not okay for me, and it's probably not okay for anybody in this room today, because we're all trying to do a little bit better. We're trying to make our companies that we own, operate, and run, and work for just a little bit better than it was today. And, and I feel like say we have to go slow in order to compete. You don't have to get overwhelmed with this. But just do it incrementally and it'll just be it'll be fine. Yeah. Just don't take off too much at one time.
0: Yep, that's very true. So in this episode, I want to get into it as quickly as possible because I know we're gonna talk forever. Is we're gonna be talking about development and retention. But before we go there, just like we always do, I wanna talk about something positive that's going on. And I want to talk about something positive that's going on at making chips. And this is for both of us. I have so something positive y- at Card. No, that- we're not gonna talk about that no, today. We're we'll really quick time. It's really quick. Okay. You're never quick. With anything though, Jim. Yeah, seriously. Okay, go ahead. So
2: next week, my dad is coming in and oh, is great. going to sit in and be part of our production meeting with my team. Oh, that's nice. And do a tour of car machine and tool again. See all the new equipment we've got. We're going to bring him in. We're going to get the wheelchair. We're then we're going to order pizza and everyone's going to have pizza together. So you're such a good son. No, I just I want to do that because you no, know what I, I know cool. I he awesome. is going to be thrilled. To death, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but, no, he's going to be—he's going to be elated to the nines to come in and do that. I don't know how much. How old's your dad? He's eighty-nine. He's eighty-nine. I, yeah, and he's got Parkinson's, but he's good. Is his mental capacity is still good? And he probably won't say much, but I think it's going to get him excited. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it's
0: good. We said we we're gonna be quick, but I guess we're not. So it also kind of reminds you're the one me that's if, making it long. I know. It also kind of reminds me. So our, our new partners in making chips, the Golners, they Willie Goldner, who started their company, is like an, an amazing man. He's 87 years old, and that man is like me. He's got his go fast shoes on. And he's running through that plant at 87 years old. He's at work every day. He's telling people what to do, and he's a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> I got a lot of oh, he's he's right on top of things, yeah. man. So I, I think it's great that you're bringing your dad, and that's Thanks. awesome. Thanks. So what I wanted to talk about is. As I mentioned earlier, Making Chips, we now have our own internal marketing agency, and we're almost at capacity with new clients. And so we're going to need to figure out how to hire an onboard and develop and grow that team. And that's an exciting thing. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge, but it's it's exciting. And I think that that's a really positive thing that we have going on. And yeah, we've because, got Caleb and Nick running that. Because you know, we need to add more stuff yeah, to our agenda. Jim and Jason need more things to do. Oh,
2: my God. So, that's why I'm never going to
0: give up wine. So I have some manufacturing needs news to share. And it's an interesting article. And I want to kind of go through this point by point. Yeah, great. You did really good on the structure today by, today, by the way. way. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So this is from thefabricator.com. And the title of the article is Millennials Skeptical About Manufacturing Careers. And the I reason, feel like I've heard this over and you over, know, over and over, and over, over again. And over. But it's I want redundant. to talk about it a little bit because I think there's some interesting stats here. So basically what they go through is five stats about millennials' perceptions about the manufacturing industry. So let's go with the most encouraging one at this point. 79% of millennials agree that manufacturing jobs are important to the American economy. That's good. And that actually was a surprising one, even though it's down from the boomers and the Gen Xers, who were 86% of them felt that manufacturing jobs were important to the economy. It's still, it's still an, occur- an encouraging it's, thing. It's,
2: it is pretty good. Okay. yeah. Next one.
0: The next one is that 54% of millennials believe that robots, AI, and machines will replace all manufacturing jobs in the United States.
2: And just so you know, AI is artificial intelligence. Everybody knows that, Jim. No. I didn't okay. know that three weeks ago.
0: Obviously, this is not true. Anybody that's involved in robotics, we're starting to sell collaborative robots. We sell vending machines or we place vending machines, Was are essentially like robotic tool crib attendants? Everybody that's in that industry of understands that it takes a lot of people to run those robotics. I'm not as familiar with AI. But that perception obviously needs to change. Millennials need to understand that we need them to run the robots. We need jobs to maintain the robots, to fix the robots, to run the robots, to reprogram the robots, everything like that. That's a perception, albeit an incorrect one. I got Um, the next
2: one. 75% believe having a strong manufacturing sector is important to help grow the U.S. economy. That's that's
0: powerful. Yeah. And you know what that other 25% they need to do some research and understand that an economy without manufacturing is destined for failure failure because, you know, there's so many examples out there of other countries that don't manufacture and they are at the whim of importing goods and that is not a good thing. What are those countries? Just curious. A lot of them out there. I don't know exactly which, which countries have such a high, I mean, okay, Cuba. Okay. Cuba would be one where they are so dependent on... Tourism. tourism. Yeah, I just got done reading a book called Refugee or something like that. I think that's what it's called and it talks about some of the Cuban immigration into the United States and one of the things that it talked about briefly was how they had such a shift and they actually had a point in time where they told people to leave because they couldn't sustain feeding people and giving them clothes and stuff like that because they had such an import intensive economy. So anyway, 51% percent of millennials believe there is a shortage of skilled workers in the U.S. They might yeah. be right about that. They are right no about that. No arguing about yeah, that. No arguing about that. And 49% of millennials believe that manufacturing offers careers that are fulfilling. Only we 49. got it. We got to figure that out. We got, to, yeah.
2: we, we got to make a paradigm shift, and we that need, one. yeah, because
0: yeah. back in the day, fifty nine percent of boomers and Gen Xers agreed that manufacturing had fulfilling careers. Yeah, and, so we're and losing. As them. We can attest to yeah. manufacturing is not only fulfilling; it's fun. And I think that most people that are in manufacturing believe that it's fun. And even our guest today believes that manufacturing is a fun industry to be in. I agree. So why don't we move on to that, Jim? Could you introduce our guest who believes I that manufacturing is fun? Uh,
2: This woman always makes me smile every time I see her, and I'm thrilled to have her. We begged her to stay. We begged her to stay in the studio with us and hammer out another impactful episode. So we do have Jess Jadusi back in our studios again. She is the manager of organizational development at Smalley Corporation in Lake Zurich, Illinois. Our last episode that we just did with Jess was about hiring and the onboarding process.
0: Because we're in a series on process right now. We
2: are. And it was so insightful. We asked her to stay and discuss another HR process for manufacturing leaders, retention and development. Two very important things. If you don't know Jess, please check out the previous episode about hiring and onboarding. And since we don't need to introduce her, Jess, we're going to let you tell us a little bit about yourself and Smalley and how you got into manufacturing. And quite frankly, I don't even know how you got into manufacturing. So tell me, tell Jason and tell the Metalworking Nation your story.
1: Well, hey guys, thanks for... Hey, Let me stay around for a little bit. Yes. I work for Smalley in Lake Zurich, manufacturing company. We manufacture wave springs and retaining rings, which really innovative. The company is amazing. Been around for about 55 years in every industrial market, auto, aero, off-highway, medical, military, family owned by an amazing family. And I'm lucky to be there every day. But is I. Is it the
0: Smalley family? I was just going to ask the same thing, but <laughs> I didn't not want true? to interrupt.
1: It's not, but we get that all the time. <laughs> we do. We get asked if we manufacture Slinkies, too, which is a, a big one. But it's an incredibly forward-thinking and supportive, amazing company. So It's I'm, one I'm family that owns it. Yeah. And I got lucky there. So I... Started in recruitment and business development a long time ago and really, really loved finding people and kind of the creative challenge with pairing my education, which is in marketing, to finding people and putting a lot of those techniques together and kind of started to build my career on that. Worked a lot through recruiting and specialized agencies and ended up finding this opportunity at Smalley, which has been amazing and a company that really lets me spread my wings with my creative, crazy ideas ideas and try to move the organization forward when it comes to people. And now in a role overseeing our recruiters and the recruiting team and working on moving the organization forward with people-focused initiatives, which is what my career and, and job has turned into. But I think luck brought me into manufacturing and right timing and and passion. now i'm so in love i think you guys know this industry has definitely captured my heart a little bit so i'm hoping the metalworking nation keeps me around for quite a bit
0: oh we will For sure, it will. So we talked about this briefly, that there's kind of these two components to your human resources department, I guess you would say. There's the employer advocacy side, and there's the employee advocacy side. And you're definitely on that employee advocacy side, whereas the employer advocacy side would be more of like the I guess, more legality side of it? Is that a fair characterization or am I I simplifying it too much? Yeah,
1: I think the lines blur a lot. And I'm lucky that I have a great peer and a great partner on our team who's significantly smarter than me when it comes to all of the traditional things that you would come to think of with HR, but she's also an incredible forward thinker. And so our ideas really work well together in terms of how do we balance that traditional nature of HR with a lot of the things that I try to bring in in terms of training and development and retention and recruitment and all of these crazy ideas that run through my head at a mile a minute. And so I think we're, I'm lucky. I'm I'm on a really, really great team where we have that balance of kind of the new school thinking and the old school thinking.
0: Great. So what exactly is development in the HR process? How would you define that?
1: I would define it as continuing growth for an individual. I think that a lot of people look at development as next step and working somebody into their next role. And for myself and for Smalley, we look at continued development. So it's not necessarily about specific ladder markers, but continuing someone's individual growth and and their own personal goals and aligning them with the company goals.
0: Great. So that doesn't seem like an easy thing to do. And when I think about our company goals, and, and as I mentioned before, I want to see everybody in my company always make those continuous improvements, which, which I think is what you're talking about right now. One of the things that I struggle with is that not everybody wants to be a leader. We talked about this not briefly. Not everybody in the wants to be a not leader. Not everybody is that type A personality just really driving ahead, wanting to be a leader. But I think everybody innately wants to see their future bigger than their past. So how do I lead my people to really want to be in a culture of continuous improvement, but at the same time recognize that not everybody wants to lead people, wants to manage people. They just want to be a part of a great culture and they want to see their future bigger than their past.
1: I think what you're asking is kind of the differentiation between developing into a leadership position and developing an individual, which seems like the common confusion is development is focused around, okay, well, I'm going to turn someone into a supervisor. I'm going to turn someone into a manager. And yeah, that's I'm going to move what. my
0: warehouse person into a warehouse manager. Yep. And that's not always the best it's decision. Not, I'm no. Or I'm going to make my greatest salesman a sales manager, but that might not be a good decision either. Exactly,
1: exactly. And that's something that I'm really focused on is understanding the individual's development, but you have to, as an organization, be ready to support what their goals are and understanding what's going to work best for you and how those goals can align. And so we're really working... Working hard on creating development paths that aren't leadership specific. Is somebody going to be a technical expert in a role and be able to move and grow and develop in that path, Coming, becoming a senior leader on a technical side? And then are they really great with people and understanding leadership and motivation and going to grow down that path? Do we have opportunities for people to grow in whatever way is best for them and best for the company? Because a lot of people just want to grow in their role. They want to take on responsibilities. They want to become technically proficient. They want to focus on that and have no desire to manage teams. And some want to manage teams. And that's okay. And that's okay. okay. right? But are you ready to support that? Right. Or is the only path for development to manage a team.
0: And it needs to be communicated.
1: And that's just it. That's the And whole how thing. do you know? So what, you know? what
0: are the right questions for me to ask in order to understand somebody's motivations? Because I think sometimes sometimes people haven't even thought about mm-hmm. it. And sometimes maybe right. they they want to tell you what you want to hear. And then you end up putting them in the wrong position and you lose a great person.
1: Mm-hmm. It's easy to jump to, what do you want to do? And that's a that's a heavy. That's a quest.
0: vague question I, I didn't what know you,
1: this was what, what, what I wanna, wanted to do five years ago. What do you want
2: to so, do, do? yeah. yeah. I, I always say, like, what's your passion? What are you passionate about? What do you really like?
1: Yeah. Well, I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a lot, but it's ongoing development. It's continuous development, and those conversations become, what are you enjoying in your job today? What do you really like? What are the things that are inspiring you? What's motivating you today? What are you getting excited about? What are your challenges? What do you feel like you're you're maybe not at your best with or you need to learn a little bit more from? Those are going to open the dialogue to a lot of those answers. But you might have somebody who's saying, oh, I was watching so-and-so and he was coaching somebody and I thought that looked really cool. Or so-and-so was setting up a machine and I've never seen that done and I really want to learn how to do that. So you're not necessarily pinpointing that tough Question. It's more about having that open dialogue and being able to say, What's going on today? What do you like today? What are you excited about right now? And then building on that. And then those continuous development conversations start creating your plans, and you can actually start putting some future goals and some metrics and benchmarks in place. But if you don't really understand the individual and what's driving them, you're almost making the decision for them. I think we do that a lot. I think we find really great doers. And we say, okay, that's my next manager. That's my next leader. But did we see if they want to be a manager? Did we assess if they've got leadership capabilities? A lot of that comes from these ongoing dialogues.
0: Should I be sitting down with individuals and documenting that and putting it in their ploy file?
1: I am in HR, so I love that, of course. I
0: would say um, yes, too.
2: And I'm I'm that. not in HR, but I, would, I have like a rolling sheet on all my employees and I date it what we talked about, what we're going to talk about in 60 days and and just document, document, document. And then you can always use that as a benchmark to go back and look at what you talked about because you forget.
1: Yeah, but it is a little ongoing. You're still going to be on the floor with them doing that engagement or saying, hey, Timmy, I'm doing the setup over here and it's really challenging. Do you want to come take a look at it with me and kind of get you to some exposure for a different kind of work. So it is that balance between having the actual sit down, how's it going, where are we at, how's your progress, to day-to-day, capturing the moment, capturing the opportunity to develop.
0: What if somebody responds, I enjoy picking and packing orders, and I really don't want to do any more than that. Or somebody says, I really just, I, I just want to be a CNC programmer. I don't want to do any more. I don't see anything bigger than that in my future.
1: I don't think that's a bad thing. I think the response is, okay, how can I support you in that? How can I keep you engaged? And then it's having those dialogues of how's the week going, checking in. I think that somebody could be in that mindset at one point, and you really want to support it, but it doesn't mean you stop having the touch points and the conversations because that might change or it might not. But you're still bringing them in and having them feeling engaged in their career and their work. They might only want to be a pickpacker. They might only want to see be a CNC programmer, but you're still making sure that they're feeling fulfilled. Every couple months, you're going up and working with that individual. Timmy, how's it going? So happy. Is it still everything? You have everything that you need. And then you're making sure that you're not missing anything and you're making sure that they're still at the level that they want to be.
2: Okay, stop there. So we've got that person that just communicated that to you that says, I'm happy. I really don't want to develop my skills any more than I'm at. How do you take care of them financially?
0: Because don't you mean mean when they want more but they they want more money but they don't want to want no
2: more responsibility. So that's a tough one.
0: I have a feeling you've dealt with this before, Jim. No,
2: no, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. No, I haven't dealt with it, but I'm thinking about it. So you have this person that doesn't want to take on any more responsibility that they're kind of maxed out or capped out or they're happy. But I can't increase them 10, 20% per year when they're only doing the same thing. And I'm sorry if I'm speaking out of terms, but I had to ask the question when it's appropriate.
1: Yeah, that's a tough question. But there is, this is where you need to be ready and equipped for some of the tough conversations. I think we steer away from tough conversations and it's okay for somebody to be content in their role, but it's also okay as a business owner, as a company to say, we want to support you. We're happy that you're in this role and you're content and you're engaged and you're feeling successful. But having salary caps isn't a negative thing. If that person is there, there is a point that somebody, will have to understand that in order to kind of move to that next level, they need to take on more responsibility. Or you could have someone who's in a role for those X amount of years making significantly out of range for the role because there wasn't a controllable put around it. But it's being able to be clear, defined, upfront about that. I always say Timmy because Timmy's my my faux employee, but... Tim, you know, I'm, I'm so excited that you're here. He's I want to avatar. support you. He's my avatar. Yes. I'm so excited that you're here. I want to support you. I want to do whatever I can to support you. We're getting to the point that we are kind of at the high end of our scale for this position. So in order to keep moving down the financial road, we need to look at additional responsibilities. But if that's not what you want to do, let's keep you engaged where you're at. But have that conversation. Be clear. And then it kind of is what it is. And that's not a bad thing. A lot of times people are going to be okay and appreciate the level of honesty as opposed to trying to dance around a tough conversation. But you can't really have individuals that are making crazy amounts of money in a job that we talked in our last episode about what does a job pay? How do you value a position?
2: Thank you, Jess. I appreciate that because I'm sure of the manufacturing leaders out there that are hearing that answer say when that Machina says, I, I don't want to take on any more responsibility, but I want to buy a half a million dollar house and I need more money to qualify for Or what for if I've mortgage. gotten an
0: offer for X more dollars and do you increase your max capacity at that point? Well, That's that, a good question. that
1: brings up a kind of a different idea. Generally, you'll find the market is pretty consistent. If you're in line with the market, you might see a little variance. You might see offers that are maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. But if you have an employee who's engaged and has all of the other pieces where they're feeling fulfilled, generally those smaller increment jumps aren't going to be enough to make a move. Now, if they get an offer that's significantly higher, is that your position out of market? Do you need to look at where your pay scale is? Is that the miss? Or are they just getting kind of that random crazy offer and that's something that there's not a lot you can do with that if you want to keep the justification on your team. You still have an entire team that needs to be fairly accounted for. Mm -hmm. So that's where that tough decision of I don't really want to throw a whole bunch of money that doesn't justify the position to keep one person because there are companies out there that'll do that. But I think for the majority are... And
2: let me tell you, everybody's replaceable. It's true. Everybody's
1: replaceable. It's true. And I think the majority are really looking at fair market value. And if you're at or competitive to fair market value, you're going to keep a lot of respect and justification with your current team because you're going to keep everyone aligned. And people respect that. And you're not just going to throw Timmy 10 bucks more because he got an offer somewhere else. But now you've got your other Timmy on the floor who's fairly priced and making a good wage for what he's doing, and now they're completely out of whack. Now you're going to get into a whole mess of HR issues because how do you justify that?
0: Exactly. Should this development process be a really formal process where you sit down every quarter and, and go through these 10 questions, or should it be more of this kind of informal coaching exercise that's 10 to 15 minute long conversation?
1: Both. So I think okay. it's a combination of both. I think the norm is like an annual review and most companies and most leaders aren't having any conversations leading up to it. So those annual reviews can feel surprising. They can feel uncomfortable. If there's development, it's a harder conversation. So we like to promote continuous ongoing Development conversation. So, whether it's a bi weekly, a monthly, a weekly, whatever the case may be, employees are having those conversations continuously so that when you get to the point that you're in your formal review, your documented, whatever processor system you're using to document your reviews, none of that conversation is a surprise to either. It's kind of the formalities, bringing everything together, tying up loose ends, aligning, making sure we're still on the same page. But I'm fortunate I have an amazing boss and we have continuous development conversations. She knows what my goals are. We're touching about them constantly. So when we have formal reviews, nothing in it is really a surprise to me. And I think that's a really good mindset to have because it keeps you focused on communicating with your employees and not waiting for that calendar reminder to come up and say, oh, I need to talk to Timmy about his development.
0: So are you saying that you should continuously be asking what's your goals? What are you passionate about? Or is it just you've got this one question and you're asking different questions every month? And what exactly does that process look like? Because, you know, in my mind, I love having casual conversations mm-hmm. around the development process, but I also feel like if I don't if I don't have like this checklist of questions where I'm getting to understand each individual, I might be forgetting somebody mm-hmm. or I might be forgetting to ask somebody a particular question. So, what exactly am I am I asking and documenting on a regular basis? I think, and I'm the expert at this. You
2: are, but I think that you should have the same set of questions structured for every employee in your company because then that one person is going to get the handholding more than the other person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it should be oh, fair and equal to all of
0: you. You should employees. understand the answer to those questions about everybody.
2: Right. Yeah. And that's a hard task to do, mm-hmm. but as you develop it, what do you think?
1: I think that I like the the mindset and the idea of having this base set of questions. Right. Cuz I think it gives you that starting point, but your conversation and your dialogue and the direction is going to veer and be different with every employee. Even sitting here, we can have a structure as much as we want, but we're going to bring up topics and we're going to bring up things that kind of bring other aspects into the conversation. And so it's important to have those documentation so you can remember what every employee is talking about. But if you're having those conversations enough, it's not necessarily every two three weeks going to be, are you at this goal yet? How did we achieve this? It's A little bit more of a casual conversation, asking how they're feeling, how the work is going, do they feel like they're on track with their goals, are there things that they're struggling with, and then the formal conversations kind of come back and tie it all together. Okay, we set this goal for 30 days, how are we doing to it? So it's that balance between informal and Actually, looking at those benchmarks that we put in place.
0: You mentioned annual review, performance yep. review. You just yep. call it an annual review. Mm-hmm. Oh, this um, is good. We should what, talk about how, this. how long does that last? What do you need to document during it? And I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Is it a always a conversation about pay? Let's break it down because I don't a think it is performance
2: review should be different than a review pay review. Pay
0: review. That's what I think. Do just do you agree? agree? Yep. Let's start oh, there. Okay. Yeah. Let's start so let's there. talk about the performance review. Okay. What how, do we talk how, about in a performance yeah, review? Yeah. So for for Jim and I who have much smaller companies than Smalley, should Gemini and I be in every single annual review? Us and the person's supervisor? I think so. Or should it just be the supervisor? Are we overstepping our bounds by being a part of that process?
1: That's a Big heavy question. So I, say,
0: I think you can handle it. Well it's one <laughs> that I, Yeah, I think you can too. And it's one that I want to know because like I'm always trying to straddle that line of making sure that everybody Understands that I'm interested in their Mm -hmm. development, but at the same time, I I can't step on my supervisor's toes. Yeah, so
1: your supervisors are likely going to be on their own development plans, and part of that is going to be developing their teams under them. Mm -hmm. So, are you empowering them and giving them the ability to grow and learn that skill set? If you're in all of their meetings, that's a it's a fine balance. But I think that for smaller companies, there's definitely the importance that owners and managers are as engaged as possible. It's I don't think that it's a black and white answer. I would probably recommend getting involved in some and then leaving it to the supervisors to do some on their own too, so that they are empowered to be the leader. They are empowered to grow in their own development, but you're also coaching and developing them in that process. How are they doing in those conversations? Are they delivering the right message? Are they having tough conversations when they need to be? Are they focused on positive when they need to be? So it's definitely a balancing act there, but When we talk about what those conversations are surrounding, you guys mentioned pay, and I love that we don't incorporate pay in our performance reviews. So pay is a separate conversation. It's done at a separate time. The focus of development plans and annual performance reviews are performance-based. Are they successful in meeting expectations for the job they're doing? And if they are, how can they continue to grow? And if they're not, what do we need to focus on? But when you're doing a performance review and you put pay at the end of it, that employee is not listening to Anything you're saying because they are waiting for you to get to that last slide to see what's going to happen. Right. So, remove that. Am I going to get a
2: 20% increase? Yeah. Am I going to get a $2,000 bonus? Yeah. No, you're not, Jim. Well, no. I know. I'm still waiting for mine, by the way. You're not going to get it. Sorry. You didn't do that well this year. Okay. But I totally agree because. All they're thinking about is the sweet You're tart You're scrolling at the end.
1: through, and they're just waiting <laughs> to get to the end. Yeah,
2: let's get through all the boring stuff. Let's get to the, yep. the juicy stuff. So and There is.
1: I mean, there's definitely a tie-in to performance and pay, but people need to understand their performance and be able to focus on that element. And I think that if you create that culture where you're articulating to your employees, we want you developed. And it's important to us that we're having honest, open conversations about you and your performance and your development. And that is the sole focus of this conversation is you. That's what you need to do. And then that conversation, oh, the money conversation comes stuff. separate. Good stuff. But now that employee understands their compensation more because they completely right. understand where they're at and because their success and their development. Compensation
2: is directly prescribed from performance, yep. right? You don't yep. get compensation until you perform.
0: Yep. So let's go back to the, the compensation meeting. What do we need to ask during that performance review and how long should that meeting last?
1: It can last anywhere from, I think, 30 to 60 minutes is appropriate obviously always be cautious of being too short because too short can make the employee feel like they aren't valued. They don't have the time investment. You might not get a lot of that content out, but I think creating a structured review is really important so that everybody is being looked at in the same manner. I am of the mindset that I don't believe in ratings with reviews and a lot of the industry and a lot of companies are really going that way. Because on a
2: scale from one to five, I think you're doing this
1: on a scale. Because a three to you, Jim, is going to be different than a three to you, Jason. They're, They're... You cannot completely calibrate your entire team. Mm -hmm. So we want to look at, is someone meeting expectations for the role and how do we define what meeting expectations are? And so then your conversation comes from that. So if you're somebody that's doing setups and we look at successful in the role as being able to operate at X amount of productivity and doing X amount of setups successfully and whatever the case may be, you guys know I'm not the... The technical one in the group.
2: Well, 80% efficiency, I would imagine. Are those kind of metrics that you use?
1: So, our team uses metrics in production and on the manufacturing floor, but they're not necessarily incorporated in our reviews just yet. So, we're still Mm. looking at. I love our company so much because we're constantly developing and refining that. And we are making sure that our reviews are as effective as possible. But it really is right now honing in on what we define success in the role as. And as we continue to develop our metrics and develop our analytics on the back end, that'll start to get tied in. But if you don't have that, and a lot of companies don't have that, I think that it's easy to say, how do we define success in the role? What are the things that we need to say? Every machine operator is successful because they're doing X, Y, and Z. So
0: are are you saying that right now your annual reviews are more subjective Rather than objective based on, on the data?
1: I mean, they're definitely objectives. We utilize a software called Halogen, which I love. So it is a performance-based management tool so that we can build reviews in there so that everybody is going through the same whether it's collaboration, teamwork, responsibility, accountability, performance, all of these different areas are being covered for everybody so that we can keep it structured. But it's accountability in terms of are they showing up every day? Are they present? Are they effective? Are they having quality issues? Are there a lot of those technical things come into play there? But that way we're still aligning and making sure that everyone's being evaluated in the same way. So that I think is. Really, really important is how do we make sure that you're not rating one person on one thing right. and one person on another?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi. this is Kayla Mertz from Making Chips Marketing Technology team. We have a bonus interview with Jason, Jim and Jess about compensation techniques. It gets heated, as do most discussions about compensation. Go to makingchips.com/jess to access this extended interview. That's makingchips.com slash J-E-S-S. Okay, let's move on to retention. So, how exactly do you view retention and attrition at Smalley Company? And what is attrition?
1: Attrition for us is, and really the industry is, people leaving. So, why are why are people turning over? Um, you'll hear that word turnover a lot, but Jim pulled up Google. So, the action or process of gradually reducing the strength or effectiveness of someone or something through sustained attack or pressure.
2: Wow, that's a lot.
1: (laughs) That's a mouthful. That is. So your attrition is your employee base that's leaving the people you've lost. So every year you're going to have a certain amount of attrition. Every company is going to have attrition. People are going to leave for whatever reasons. But a lot of companies aren't really understanding why people are leaving and could be missing some opportunities for insight. Are people leaving because in their first week they weren't engaged and they weren't trained and they felt like it wasn't a fit for them when your company might have been a great fit for them, but you miss the opportunity on that, we talked about onboarding, on that front-end onboarding. Are people leaving because your pay scale is not matching market and you're underpaying from what your competitors are paying and they're leaving because of that. So that attrition piece is, is really important. It goes hand in hand with retention. How do you keep people by understanding not only why people are leaving, but understanding why your current people are staying?
2: And that's about all about what retention is about, right? Understanding why they're staying. Is
0: is that why I think that you would be an advocate of exit interviews? That's probably why you would advocate for an exit interview, and so you can really understand why they're leaving, correct?
1: Huge advocate for exit interviews, but also. But aren't I they think...
0: skewed? Don't you think exit interviews are skewed? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I, it's so I much.
1: It's, it's Yeah, and somebody's not necessarily going to tell you all the bad things that they're feeling. Yeah, they're no. going to say, I got,
0: I got a better they got a better offer. I got better I'm moving. Money. And yeah. then you find
1: out that they didn't move, or. Yeah. Kind of the easy way out of that conversation. So I how think do you that- make
0: that effective then in order to get the real, do you just ask them, say, tell me something about the company that, that I probably don't want to hear as to why you're leaving? Do you just ask them that outright? Well,
1: it's. I mean, it's a really, really loaded... I think this is a loaded response that I'm going to give. But if you're at the point that somebody is in an exit interview leaving and it's completely catching you off guard, you failed already in a couple points prior to that. Somebody leaving shouldn't necessarily be a huge surprise. Were they happy? Did they have issues with pay? Did they have issues with training? And we didn't engage them. We didn't develop them. We didn't coach them. We didn't talk to them. Now, all of a sudden, they're leaving and we're like, wait. What's going on? I had no idea that you were unhappy or something was wrong. I've
2: never been surprised by an employee leaving. No, and you really shouldn't be. No, I've never been surprised. I've always felt it coming and... Boom, there you go.
1: And I think I think that's still, I mean, especially for us, we're a large company and it is, credit our managers because they've got a lot of people that they need to keep up with. And so of course, for larger companies, you might have that where one's gonna catch you off guard, you had no idea, but you're still gonna then go back and reflect on your processes. Did we do everything that we could to keep that person? Of course. Did we do everything that we could to engage them to understand if they were happy? Did we really feel like we did our best or is there something that we can learn from so our next Timmy we're not losing because we're making sure that we are developing the person. Someone's leaving because they felt like they didn't have a growth path. That to me is a company failure. Why did we not know that? Why mm-hmm. did we not get them on a path for development? Those are the ones that I feel like are stingers for companies when it's the things that you can control, I know. and you just didn't take the and opportunity. sometimes You
2: just can't do it all. Yeah,
1: no, sometimes
0: you can't. But you and mentioned exit interview, just, but
1: that's where you get into the stay interview. That's almost more important, and it's where yeah, you get into. Yeah, I th- and I don't. And I don't like this. I don't like the stay interview in come sit down in HR and let's have a you've been here for a year. How's everything going? Because it feels so stuffy and formal in process and not genuine and real. So I always come back to, I feel like I've said it a hundred times, how are you engaging and talking to your employees? And that I think is really important, those touch points. Are you happy? Are you Everybody's so busy right now. It's like, how are you managing the stress? Are things good? Do you have everything you need from me? So that you're trying to get that out in a little bit more casual relationship building dialogue, as opposed to sit in my office with the door shut and it stayed 90. How are things going?
0: Right. So let's move away from the negative side of losing people. How does a small business like a car machine, machine tool or a Zengers or a black or a making chips become a great place to work. How do we mm, good how question. do how do we compete in different ways against free medical insurance and pensions that people don't have to make contributions to how do we become this great place to work where nobody wants to leave i have an answer for that well Go i ahead. didn't ask you
2: I, well i don't do care it. i'm going to see let's, if i'm correct let's hear it. i have I an want answer to too jim but I'm, i wanted to ask the expert i know but i ahead. want to Go see ahead. if i'm correct i think by cultivating your culture and really getting everybody involved and everyone has a voice and Everyone's aligned with the core values, and you keep hammering them on them, and you make it so they're happy when they come in. You definitely make them part of the. Process the evolution of the company's success.
0: I actually haven't. If you're going to answer too, I have an answer too, and I feel like mine goes like maybe even a step deeper than that. And I think it drives all those things that you said. And I don't always portray this very well because I'm always running so fast. But I think if you really love and care about your people, I think that you're going to be a great place to work, and you're going to drive a good culture, and you're going to want to do as much as you can. And I truly feel that way about everybody at Zengers and everybody at Black and everybody at Making Chips, I don't always show it. I love you too, Jim. (laughs) I I don't always show it because I'm always, I feel like under pressure, under the gun, running fast, trying to get things done. But that's truly the way I feel. And that's the reason why I do the things that I do. But I think if you have that underlying, just loving the people that you're with, I think you're going to do those things to make it a, a better place to work. Jess, yes. what do you think?
1: Good answers, guys. Thank you. Wow. So we're not, t- we're not totally far off, right? You still need me here?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do, <laughs> to validate what we just said. It's
1: back to basics. It's so important. It's just back to basics. So I think it's understanding. We talked about who you are as an employer, but at the same point, it's understanding your employees' voice. So things like town halls, roundtables, casual conversations, you can provide as much to your employee base as you think they want, but there's a little bit of a partnership There, If your employee base is screaming and saying, I'd love to go to TMA for a certification, I'd love to do this, I'd love to have the opportunity to learn this, or hey, do we have a place where we can leave suggestions? I'd love to have a place for dialogue or whatever the case may be. Are you understanding what's going to make your employee base happy as much as defining and understanding the company that you want it to be? But you mentioned you're bringing everybody in together. So you're making them feel like they're part of something. And in order for them to be part of something, they have to have a voice. You have to listen and you have to be ready, though, to act on what they say, whether that's, you know what, that doesn't really fit with who we are as a company, but we're offering this and I feel like it might also make you happy. Or, you know what, that's a great idea. I can see that at Car Machine. Let's see how we can figure it out. But I think companies will do culture surveys, will ask their employees for feedback and then not do anything with it. Like Why are... You're not listening, though. You have to be ready to act on it to keep your people engaged. And then we talked about how do they stay. That's how they stay. That quarter increase isn't going to matter down the street because they're coming in. They have a voice. They're part of something bigger. They feel like they're contributing every day. That job down the street is not going to pull that emotional connection of engagement to the company. And you can't
0: put a price on that. Nope. You cannot put a price on that. Jess, I have one last question. What's a little... Just one little positive thing that we can do with our team that doesn't cost us any money, but really just heightens that culture and and shows that we want to be a great place to work.
1: So I think every company, no matter how big, has the opportunity to, I just said it, but it is so impactful, give their employees a voice. I think that if you're 10 employees, 50 employees, 500 employees, if you have that opportunity for employees to share what they're loving about what's going on and making sure that they're bought in, do they understand what They're a part of? Do they understand the impact of the part they're making? Do they understand the impact that that? picker packer is making in the day to day. That's where we come back to engagement. Does that person understand that if they're not there shipping the parts, your parts don't go out, your company's not they, successful, they understand the, the bigger why picture. They behind you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. I need to put this in the box and then it's going to go out. And it's like, you're a bigger piece. You're a bigger component. And how are you really engaging them? So I think that that's kind of a little bit of a two-part answer, but it's giving your employees a voice and then making sure that Every single employee from, we said it, from CFO to pickpacker to machine operator understands their importance. And any company, no matter how big you are, can do that. You can walk out on your shop floor and make sure they understand their contributions today, right now to the business. And that's huge. That's impactful. That's that buy-in right there. I did this today. I moved the company forward today. I created this part, which is going to obviously be maybe innovative product or a new line. I did that. I think that's a very easy thing for any company to do. And we just need to take the time to step away from our computers, go talk to our employees, and make sure that we're all part of it together.
0: Gosh, wow. So good, Jess. Learned so much. I got, got, like, once again, I got one one of my my favorite episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Ever. Yeah, Yeah.
1: E V E
2: R, ever. Explanation mark. Seriously. I just, it's resonated
0: really profoundly with me today. What's one thing that you uh, that you need to do right away?
2: I, I feel like I'm on the right track, but I think I, I gotta engage more. I gotta I, I, I gotta, gotta sit yeah. the employees down and talk and I gotta document what they're telling me and I gotta I gotta listen more. I do and I, I promote it. but I think I could improve in that area.
0: A little bit more than I am.
2: No one's perfect, but what about
0: you? I agree. Similar to that, I need to make sure I sit down with each and every person. The one thing that I've... I sit down with my direct reports and my leadership team constantly, but I think... I need to sit down with everybody. I need to show every single person in the company, which is a lot. It's you can do take it. one person a week to get through everybody, but well, I need to show them all what? that I care. You know, one a week is not bad. If no, you think about bad. it like
2: that, it's not bad. It's
0: not bad. But I need to show I think them how that I how impactful that would be if you yeah, sat down with that in person. I need to do that. And, yeah. and I've talked about it before. I just haven't done it, and I need to just put it on my calendar. When you and sit and make down sure with do me one on one, I'm very happy. I feel very good when you talk to me one on one. Is it okay if I stop doing it with you so that I can give more time to other people? Yes. Okay. I'm going to do that. Have we made enough chips
2: today? We have. Yes. Because if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam.
0: As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feed of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. Jim loves to utilize big words incorrectly. And he's like, you know, maybe, maybe I should use attrition correctly. So can you define that? For I us can Google just- it.
2: <laughs>